Welcome to the 10 Degree Shift Podcast, where your host, AJ, shares small 10 degree shifts you can make to improve your business, its people, and culture, one shift at a time. Hi, and welcome to the 10 Degree Shift Podcast, a show that's all about how you can become more while doing less. I'm your host, AJ, and as you know, I'm obsessed with finding ways to reduce friction and boost flow in our life, whether that's personally or professionally, so that we can become more productive, we can be more vibrant, and just have juicier lives. And as you know, each week I bring you a different person to have a chat to, and we look at one of the elements of the 10-degree shift model and how we might go deeper into understanding that and applying it in our own area and life and what we're doing. And so today I'm bringing you another delicious human and that is Ronan Leonard. Ronan, are you there on the call? I'm here, AJ. Lovely to meet you and, and looking forward to this discussion. Excellent. It's great to have you. And I know Ronan and I had a chat a couple of weeks ago and just uh, about leadership in general and consulting and organizations and cultures. And there was so much synergy that I just knew I had to bring him onto the podcast and to bring him to all of you. And so let me tell you a little bit about Ronan and then we might just jump in with some conversation. Um, one of the things that uh, first appealed to me when I um, was introduced to Ronan and then was looking at his LinkedIn profile was the fact that at, on it he says that he's an investor in people and not stocks. And I was just like, ooh, I already think you're awesome. <laughs> Um, and so Ronan has a company called Transform, which is all around solving problems in businesses. And one of the things that when we were talking, he talked to me about increasing trust and really helping people grow in their business and using really interesting ways of doing that. Um, things such as artificial intelligence, which I believe he's exploring to look at how you build engagement. But in particular, um, it's really nice and refreshing to meet someone who is involved in a management consultancy that isn't all about, you know, their fancy office and the marble foyer or billable hours, but that is actually going, how do we build trust and how do we be generous in what we do as well as be innovative and knowledgeable and share our wisdom and experience with the companies that we consult with. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring him in to talk about how do we increase engagement in businesses and how do we start to grow that trust and work in a way that has more integrity. And I think the world's needing that more than ever, wouldn't you say, Ronan? Oh, absolutely, yes. We are in unprecedented times, uncharted waters. We've heard all that for the last eight weeks and nobody really knows what the future's like. We just know that we're unlikely to go back to business as usual. Mm. And to, to, to segue to your very first point is that we connected and we're going to talk about shared values because we immediately had shared values. We could see that commonality. Mm. So that's one of the reasons that we connected so quickly. Absolutely. So it gave us kind of this nice space and platform to come from. And, and that's what we thought we'd like to bring to all of you today. So let's begin right there with shared values. And it's, um, as many of you know, it's in the company part of the 10 degree shift model. Why are shared values so important? It gives people an alignment and to, to understand what they're trying to achieve above just dollars and figures. I think you and I had this very brief conversation about business was and 
companies were created around about 300 years ago to help Britain expand its empire. Because prior to that, if you had a cobbler's store and you went bankrupt officially, you went to debtor's prison. So it was all on you. So they created this artificial company to allow people to sail across the world and to run a business. And if the ship went down, the person on the ship didn't go to prison because they because it was all the liability to them. But then for 300 years, that, that structure has barely been changed. And what it was all based around and has continued to, to champion was only the fact that the, the business has to make money and it's only beholden to its shareholders. And as we know now that for a lot of people, that is no longer enough. Millennials don't want to work for a company that just wants to make profit. There's no, there's no meaning to that. There's no purpose. There's no shared value other than just making money for the sake of it. Mm. So there is more and more of this shift away towards, okay, you have a company and every company really starts with a purpose. The, the first part that the, the small business owner, I've got this purpose, I need to help solve this problem for somebody. That's how a business starts. Then they create a mission statement. This is what we want to do. Then you kind of have goals and action and then results. But it all um, really is encompassed in, in, the, in this purpose. And, and the best businesses are the ones that are most trusted that have those shared values that are that really have that purpose that people align to and buy into which is beyond just okay we make widgets and uh, that's very very transactional so it all just ties into that i couldn't agree more and what i'm curious about and i love the story by the way um which is what we talked about last time we were chatting and reminded me of how companies were created in a way and um, and that it is about that distancing of liability, um, which is really interesting, isn't it? Um, but I'm curious about then your history <laughs> and what was it that brought you to this point where you decided I, I want to be, you know, in a consultancy that does this work? Was it ex in existing the shared values earlier on in your career? You know, how did you come to it? Uh, so I've had a what, what I would call an anti-career. I've never really sort of plotted, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And in fact, when we talk about values, what I've noticed in my career, and I've talked about this several times, is that um, I've been in jobs or organizations where I've looked around and thought, if I'm here in five years' time, just shoot me. I don't have the values these people have, and I don't want to settle for what they, what I perceived as they, they were doing. Uh, so... I, I just quit. So I, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. And I, I traveled the world. I worked on a cruise ship. Um, I worked on a cruise ship that sunk while we were on there in this huge storm. And the, the fascinating part of it was uh, not necessarily the ship sunk. That was that was that was pretty amazing. It's quite but it was shocking. more the fact that <laughs> yes, um, it was more the fact that the, the shocking part was that the senior officers and crew all abandoned their positions. Uh, the people that were supposed to be trained in in this exact emergency that were paid to do that wow. as a responsibility, and they all left, leaving me at the time. I worked in the gift shop, one of the lowest paid <laughs> jobs on the ship. The cruise director, the band leader, all the people that were not professional sailors and didn't really know what they were doing, all all stepped up and helped rescue 600 people off this ship in this huge storm in the middle of the night. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah, so that was uh, that was a very interesting part of my life, and then ever since then, I I was looking for a bit of pushback on authority. For me, I authority needs to be earned, not automatically given. I learned the hard way that just because you've got three stripes on your on your shoulder and you swan around as I'm the captain and I'm the the, the big the big cheese, when the push came to shove, um, 
you know, he'd completely ab um, abdicated his responsibility. Uh, and as a result, I've always looked for people that have integrity and commitment to, 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 to partner up or work with or to collaborate with. And, and what happens is that most people, as they get to really know themselves, they trust more their instincts. They, what are, what's my intrinsic values? What am I really looking to do? What do I want to achieve? Uh, and that that wisdom coming from that is is something that I when we talk about in Transform as well is that we work with leaders who, who predominantly want to run their business from their head, sorry, from their heart, and then the head will follow. So we talk about winning hearts mm. and minds. It's not about winning the heart first, and then the head follows. So whenever you're looking to make key decisions from your heart you make the right decision and then your head will will follow suit that that's when in business you can talk about tactics strategy all those other things but if you're always trying to do it from the other way around we're always trying to come up with the the fastest method or the the cheapest product or mm -hmm. the, the way you can the way you can as it you know just make a profit or scale it, it seldom works out for most people because they're really not following their heart gosh I'm so glad I asked you about your story. I had no idea about the the ship, but what a incredible opportunity to really, you know, in action learn more about what you believed and what you um, wanted to be as a leader in future. And and I couldn't agree more that trust comes over time, isn't it? It's built through the little actions and things that a leader does. It's not because they're wearing the stripes. Um, in your experience, then with the idea of, you know, winning hearts and then and going with the heart first and then the head will follow, where have you seen that perhaps with clients you've worked with or, or other organisations that you've observed and looked at? Where have you seen that actually working? Because I think a lot of people um, get excited, they read books about things like that and they say, yep, that all sounds great, but in practice it's not happening and, and that it's hard to do. So... Have you got examples of where you've seen that actually working? Well, any time you run a business, at every single opportunity, there is an amount of trust that is, whether you acknowledge or not, that this happens. So every time you're, you have a customer and you deliver something or you speak to them on the phone or you make a promise, whatever that is, there's, there's trust either being earned or, or lost. Uh, it's just a question whether you recognize it or not. When you talk about it being hard, um, to, to be honest, there are so many average businesses out there that the bar's pretty low, to be honest. One of my <laughs> first going to businesses, I got into business in 2003 after I left cruise ships. And uh, what I did, what I learned from the ships is that they used to provide a survey at the end of the ship, uh, at the end of the week cruise or 10-day cruise, whatever it was. And they asked everybody on that ship what they thought of they rated everything and they gave away a free cruise in the end the free cruise was for them nothing it's three four hundred dollars to have someone on a ship for a week mm. but what they got was a deep insight into their business and exactly what people thought of it mm. and it massively drove their business forward because they weren't guessing uh they built up that that repository of this is working that is and we don't like this and so when i started my first business every single customer i used to send them a survey afterwards saying really appreciate your business and, and I give them a little scratch card and a return envelope and just ask them to fill out a survey mm. and then I moved them online but the same sort of thing so it, was it hard to do no it was easy was it the extra mile yes did it build up a huge amount of trust and also I actually knew what 
was happening within my business because people were telling me and I was open to that feedback. Mm. And so few businesses are, right? We think we're doing an amazing job. We all drink our own Kool-Aid. <laughs> and But to get to get the, both the positive uh, and the negative feedback gives you that opportunity to, to grow. But you need to be vulnerable enough to say, I actually genuinely want to find out what, what my customers know and, and feel about me. Otherwise, how else am I going to improve? I love that. And I love it's also making me think about where have I done that well or not so well in my business and actually just did it really recently in the last few weeks. So as you and I know, because we've been discussing, I've just been running an eight-day summit online. And while I was doing that, um, dropped the ball on something with one of my actual clients where they were expecting a, um, a reply to something on a Friday and I didn't send it till the Monday. And my assistant happened to be away on the Friday as well. So normally she might have followed me up to check. Um, and so that sort of system broke down and the client let me know that they were really unhappy with that and that wasn't what the agreement had been. And you know, I was happy to stand up and say, yep, that was totally my mistake and I dropped the ball. But it made me then go back and look at the business and say, what can we do in our systems and processes to make sure that that doesn't happen again? Because there are going to be other times when we're super busy and things could easily get forgotten. So let's not trust me in my mind. Um, so it really, that feedback helped me, you know, make a course correction and improve a system straight away. Um and I, so I love what you're suggesting there. What's been some of the hardest um, feedback to receive and how has that helped you shape what you do going forward? Yeah, it's always difficult to to get feedback that you are not particularly willing to hear. So it's, it's a real challenge of, of the ego as much as anything. You think you're doing a great job. Uh, I'm trying to think specifically, I mean, to be honest, we had such great feedback. I, when I got bad feedback, I, I knew already for the, for the vast majority mm. of the time, I knew that, like you said, something had gone wrong. Um, running an events industry and, and nationwide, I'd often get calls at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday mm. or Saturday evening when I wasn't working events saying this went wrong. And lucky enough, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I said, out of, out of um, we ran... 3,000 events in, in the 13 years or so, some 300 a week, sorry, 300 a year. Sometimes it would be 12, 12, 15 on one single night. And out of all of those, I think I can count on, I think there's three times where something sort of majorly went wrong, so a tiny amount. Um, so lucky enough, when that happened, you just own up. And I had a 100% um, refund policy. I had one person complained about something quite minor, Mm. And uh, he was quite a wealthy client. We did an event on his yacht and he was still on complain. I said, here's your money back. We've got a hundred money back guarantee. Here it is. Um, because when you can do that, you, you can stand by your product. You you know you either have to get better or you'll be out of business because everyone else will be asking for their money back. Mm. Uh, so 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 yes, it's it's a it's a balancing act of of um you think you're gonna be taken advantage of, but that was the only person that that I ever refunded in in almost three thousand events, and that the rest, if there was some error, made it up in some way, and, mm. and still offered them that refund. Incredible! Can't imagine doing three thousand events like that. Um, which brings up an interesting thing. So, as we're talking about shared values, um, and while you were mentioning that, I think to myself, okay, so for some organisations where you know they're larger than five people in a garage and they've grown. 
often, you know, there might have been shared values in the in the inception of that company and the bringing together and maybe even the hiring of the first few people. But as we get larger as an organisation and there are more layers and more tiers, that can get watered down very quickly. And so, you know, the people who are hiring and bringing people on board um, can be very different and maybe don't have that shared value and the shared vision and why. And so, what would be your advice and, and how do you work with companies to help them maybe identify their shared values um, if they haven't already or how do you help them bring about a way where we can continue to work on them and use them and utilise them if we have indeed grown and that's been watered down a little? That's yeah, a good question. If you're working with the original founder, then that makes the, the job far easier. If it's, if it's a drop-in CEO, if it's it's a it's a bigger size company, then mm. then often it's hard to get those shared values because it's not the vision and the purpose and the why of the original founder. Mm. Uh, we all know that so many people start a business to to, to solve a problem. As I said, that very first thing is your purpose, and then often along the way they chase other things, come off the path, and the amount of people that achieve what is deemed as success. Um, plenty of money, plenty of accolades, all the things. And yet then when they reach that, they realize that it actually isn't that fulfilling to them. It's not really what they want. Um, so it's the ability to just sit down with them and 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 just to realign with that that purpose. What does that look like? Um, what we find is that the the beliefs that you have within an organization absolutely shape everything. They shape the results, they shape the culture. They shape how business is done around here. And, and interestingly enough, if you look at most, uh, most ways of trying to improve a business, they all heavily focus on um, cutting costs or doing things cheaper or it's um, Keynesian or um, Lean Sigma 6 or all of these, the TQM, all of these strategies and tactics, uh, but they all only address the, the things that you can see what they never ever address is the beliefs, the beliefs of an organization. Mm. So when you do that, you you find um, that the reason is that this, this company isn't achieving the results that they want or the, the where they want to get to is predominantly down to the to the gaps between the beliefs that they have and the, the underlining that, the limiting beliefs, the stories that they're telling themselves and the, the other part is willful blindness. They just don't want to change or they don't want to recognize it. And when you do that, that's when all the, the, the magic happens. You're able to, to really look at an organization and to help them see where those stories and where those limiting beliefs are holding them back. And there's no better example than when you hire someone within mm. a week, they know what this company is all about, right? It's not in the manual. It's not the technical <laughs> details you do. They look at everyone else and go, okay, this is this is what this company is about. It's what they believe. So if you're going to work at Google, everyone's thinking, well, this is a really innovative company. This is in, this is really cool. We're, we're cutting edge. Or you go and work for a company that's been around 20, 30 years, a little bit tired, and they're like, yeah, we're number eight. And we're, we're okay at number eight. We've got no aspirations to be number one. And they'll just, they'll just fit in with that culture, those belief yeah. systems that are all around them. They'll just adapt those very, very quickly. And that's what, that's what becomes the culture. I love this a lot because it 
kind of um, goes back to what I often say to people are the unspokens, the unspoken ground rules in organizations. Um, and I love your concept of willful blindness because often, you know, people say they join a company and they might be told we've got flexible working arrangements. And yet in their first few weeks there, they see that everyone works till eight o'clock at night. And so they start going, okay, so the unspoken is that we don't have flexible work arrangements, right? So it is often that the beliefs and, and how that's playing out. And, and I think this is where it gets really interesting from the perspective that you're bringing. Um, and perhaps you can explain a little more. You're looking at using actual artificial intelligence um, to look at how do we increase engagement and trust. Can you tell us a bit about how does that fit in with this aspect of getting a clear idea and that honest feedback? Yeah, so first off, we we are a, um, a management consultant company that just happens to have artificial intelligence as the underpinning, um, I suppose, the, the final sort of piece of it. We're yeah. not a technology company. Um, yeah. My CEO and co-founder is, is, is adamant. Like he's, he's um, got a 40-year career spanning 15 different technology companies started. And what he said is that if you're not careful, you people always build technology and he's done it himself and he mm. uh, doesn't want to do that again, where you build technology and then push people into that box, that solution, and, and you forget the humanity of them and you forget that the mm. people side of, of that. Uh, but in answer to your question, yes, what we, what we do is we look at an organization either internally for their employees and what that looks like or externally for their customers. And we start to, to map out what are the beliefs that are that are that in that are truisms in that organization, the, the 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 willful blindness, all of those things, and then we start to put a framework around that, and then measure it with AI. So we start to look at where the gaps are, where the where the C-suite and the, the CEO are telling the story, and and exactly as you said, does that permeate through an organization? Uh, and then when if you're open for that honest. Uh, discussion that feedback and this is really what we stand for this really is our purpose we want greater trust we want alignment we want our our employees to really feel that they are part of something that's bigger than themselves which is a key criteria for the companies we work with if you've got if you're ego driven it's all about you and your business if you are have a purpose that's bigger than yourself you're about creating a business that really impacts everybody and 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 works for everybody, not just not just the few. So that ability, as you said, to say, well, okay, well, hmm. we want to create a culture where everybody in this organisation uh, is is aligned, is 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 looked after, all those things. And if you put some, that's what their beliefs are. Well, then we can just measure that, and, and very quickly you can pick up where they're not quite aligned, where they're they're saying saying one thing, but then their employees believe another. And, and help them move towards that greater alignment and, and spot where the, where those gaps are. It's so fascinating. And I, um, I'm curious to know, and I'm quite happy for you to challenge me on it and, and to say if, if you don't believe it, but through my working culture over the years, I've come to the belief that middle managers are the culture carriers and that often the gap between what the senior executive feel and the frontline um, believe and what they hear and understand 
some of the dissonance in that or where there is lack of alignment is where they haven't really equipped and trained their middle managers to be able to carry that message and to make that become a day-to-day reality. Is that what your experience shows? Is there a a point, a breaking point in the middle or, um, yeah, what's been your experience from that? Well, it's partly Chinese whispers. The CEO might say one thing and then then he imparts that to the C-suite and then they part it to the middle management and then that goes down. So by the time it gets to the bottom, it's it's not quite what it started out as, right? So it could be Chinese whispers. Uh, the other part really is uh, it's the ability or taking that time and effort to embed this right through the organization. So you're right, that sticking point tends to be around about the middle management mm. who are under pressure for all these other KPIs and therefore uh, those those utopian ideas, it wouldn't be great if we all um, believed in the mission and the purpose and the statement, blah, 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 is is likely to get watered down, um, partly because it's not communicated effectively all the way through that organization and measured. So, you know, we all know Peter Drucker says what gets um, managed gets measured. And therefore, if you're not measuring it, it's just a mm-hmm. plaque on a wall. It's just something that you know, some branding, some branding guru came in, gave you, uh, or gave the the C-suite a, a couple of days, and they workshop these great ideas, and mm-hmm. it never any never got any further than that, or you know, truly embodied right the way through. Then that's where you get that disconnect. And so, for anyone who's listening, if there was a leader, a manager, or a business owner listening, where would you suggest? You know, where should they begin? if they're looking to improve and turn some of that around? I think one of the things you talk about trust and and we 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 believe that everything, when you do everything correctly, that the trust comes comes through as an automatic thing. It's, it's something as simple as, as or talk about willful blindness, is having those hard conversations and, and, and really looking at what you stand for, what you really want to achieve, what's most important to you, and start to measure that first thing. And, and look for the for the gaps, and and that really does require the the honesty and the integrity to say, look, I I realise that we're probably not quite there. Mm-hmm. We want to get there, but it take us six months, twelve months, two years, whatever that looks like. But first of all, first of all, acknowledging that gap because if you've got a belief, and and beliefs are everything, everything mm-hmm. we do is is surrounded by beliefs. If you've got a belief that there isn't a problem then you're never going to look for it anyway. <laughs> so it, it's really um, starting to test some of those, those beliefs and having uh, the self-awareness and the vulnerability to say, well, look, we're not there yet, but I'm willing to explore where, where the gaps are. Mm. And so another question on the shared values, I guess, before we wrap up, um, and, I'm, and I'm curious about this um, in that lots of companies are known for their values um, and lots of them espouse their values and put it on their website and there's lots of varied versions of that. So some people might say three values is enough because you can't remember more than that or five values and then you have people like Zappos um, in the US who have really strong core values and um, have ways of embedding that in their culture and getting people aligned with that belief, and they have 10 values. Um, Do you think it matters how many there are or that they're articulated and put on a website, or do you think it's more about just the beliefs, behaviours and attitudes? 
the the number don't matter. The more there are, the, the, I suppose, the harder it is to to actually start to to remember them all or to articulate them. Mm. It's not it's not the it's not the number per se. It's whether people are actually believing them and whether they are being adhered to right the way through. Because nothing breaks trust faster than you saying one thing and doing another, mm. uh, and and that applies to to, to those values. If you put them up on the wall and then very quickly, as I said, we talked about um, how do people do things around here. And if you put something up on the wall and say, yeah, our customers always first. And then you you join, for example, a call center and, and they're telling you, I know you've got to upsell somebody. You've got to sell them a product that yeah. they don't want. Um, you know, instantly that's gone. And, and then that's their perception of that company uh, until they leave or until it, it, it dramatically changes. Yeah. So it the numbers are, are irrelevant. It's and in some ways, I'm probably talking about this utopian business that doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, but if we're looking to change how we do business, if we're looking to to run the best business we possibly can, and we're open and honest about that, we will just put small steps in towards achieving that. Um, great companies don't happen overnight, mm. but they do, and they can they, they can get trashed overnight very quickly. But they they build up that legacy of okay this is a company you can trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we look for those values and and we're we're constantly making sure that we are, are adhering to them uh, as often as we possibly can. And then if we fail, we we put our hands up and say, look, we've we we admit our mistake. Let's let's work to improve that, just as you did in the example you gave me. And you know what I love as well. Um, so in all of that you're reinforcing for me my own experience of you and that you're a person who lives your values and, um, you know, has integrity around them. And um, going back to your LinkedIn profile, and I will tell people if they want to connect with Ronan, he is on LinkedIn um, and it's Ronan, R-O-N-A-N forward slash Leonard, L-E-O-N-A-R-D. Go and connect with him. You actually um, are one of the first people I've seen, and there could be lots, but I haven't seen them myself, where you actually articulate and say what your values are very specifically on your profile page. Have you found that that helps you attract the right clients and the right people to work with? Do you find that, you know, a tribe vibe can be, an, you know, can attract people? Yeah. We're we're all operating in this in this uncertainty of the the kind of not knowing, uh, especially on social media. There's mm. there's a huge amount of um, pressure to put your best foot forward, to be always selling, to be um, seen as winning, and you know, the highlights real, whatever that looks like. Uh, but in reality, what we do like to do is we like to to find people that, that connect us on a certain level, a certain frequency. In reality, there's, um, we were talking to Dave Melter, who's, who's um, very well known in the US. He is, um, he started the uh, the Jerry Maguire, the, the, the real life version of Jerry Maguire. He started that business with, with, the, with his co-founder. And what he says is that roughly whenever you're talking to, to an audience or to your market or whatever, only about, about 30% of the, the people kind of uh, are on the same kind of frequency of you. Uh, so 
you can't please everybody. You can't connect to everyone. You can't have a, a single message uh, unless you're Oprah or Richard Branson that, that appeals to, to massive amounts of people. Mm. But what you can do is say that kind of, this is what I, this is what I stand for. This is what, um, this is what is important to me. And when you do that, you attract like-minded people around you. And it's not necessarily about saying, Hey, I have the best content or I have the best opinion. Um, what really happens when communities come together is they've got their shared values, they've got their shared concerns, they've got their shared interests, mm. and you create mini tribes, as you said, or mini communities, whatever that looks like to you. Some of them grow to be much bigger, but you you find those people and you find those shared values by articulating what you are. It gives people an instant self-select. They yes. go, okay, <laughs> nothing to do with you, or okay, that yeah, that's that's me. I, you know, you want people to self-select as much as possible. So yes. that's the reason I've got it on there, just just purely for that. Love it, love it, and and I guess um, you also we've talked before about Napoleon Hill and his mastermind philosophy that's in that famous book, Think and Grow Rich, which I think is like a hundred years old now. That book. Um, tell me a bit more about how how that might work as well. If we're thinking about building smaller tribes, how does those kind of masterminds support that? Yeah, well, the idea around Napoleon Hill is that if, you, if you're really looking to, when two or more minds come together, you create this third mind, this super mind, also known as a mastermind. And it really, the purpose, the best purpose of it, you can use it for lots of different things. You can lose, use it to solve businesses. You can use it to create some context around content you have. You can use it to lead your own tribe of people that, that, uh, that understand what the value you're offering and they want to work closer with you, all of those things. But it, the, the best use of it really is for a collective people to come together to solve a big problem that they wouldn't have solved on their own. And in some ways, you're, you're kind of doing that. You know, you run a summit, you run a whole bunch of other things as well. You don't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. You, you, you recognize that you can have that bigger in, impact when you collaborate in some way, you co-create, you, you, you leverage other people. And so that's the, the, the mastermind ethos, the ability to, to work with other people. Mm. I, I've, across my uh, business life, I've worked and met so many people that are incredibly insular. They're either thinking that everyone's a competitor and therefore they don't want to share any of their IP or mm-hmm. they, they would never, never collaborate with someone because you you're in the same industry as me. And I've met far few people, uh, but they're the, the genuine ones that – yeah, sure. I'll tell you what I know, or um, I'll I'll refer people to a competitor because I'm fully booked, or or I can't. They're not the right price point for me, but I give it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And those people that have that that growth mindset are able to embrace these type of things, and and they're the ones that that business and life is so much easier for them. It really is, but that that requires you to to, to really sort of step into that, and it, it's almost it goes against everything we we instinctively kind of think we're scarcity mindset um if it's if i don't have enough money then then i've got to got to i've got to sort of strive and fight for that and all those mm. other things when when you talk to people that, that have abundance and have abundance mindset you actually find that um life is so much easier for them it really is <laughs> and 
in in doing so and kind of as, as one of our wrapping up things, you've actually covered off, I think, half of the 10 degree shift model just in that conversation there, you know, in that growth mindset is imper- is really important. Having a clear purpose, straight talk and being able to be upfront and clear with people from the beginning, like you are on your profile, I guess, um, incorporating shared values, building a tribe vibe and thinking about how do I give back to the community and be part of that. So you've essentially summarised everything for us so beautifully there, which is why I know um, from that frequency perspective we're kind of in the same vibe and it's why I was, you know, wanting to bring you on the show because I really believe what you believe. Um, So this program's all about helping people really be more and do less, which is what you're talking about right there in those people have an easier time and find they're more in flow. Um, And I'm also really strongly about people just making simple, small, 10-degree sustainable shifts that we don't have to do these massive radical changes. And at this time in COVID-19 or, you know, the aftermath of it, lots of people think they have to pivot and shift in massive ways. Do you have any final words that you could share just around what are some of the smaller things we could be doing um, to shift and continually improve um, how we live, work, and be together. One of the biggest impacts for me and, and how I ended up co-founding this, this business is that for the last um, what, three three years or so now since I sold my events business, is that I just started connecting people on what, what I call a no-sales call mm. uh, and just genuinely connecting them to find out more about them and as a result, my network massively grew. I ended up uh, working with this mentor who then asked me to co-found a, a business with him, all from the fact that uh, I wasn't trying to, to push an agenda and sell to people. So it, it, this isn't going to be for everybody, but if you're looking, if you're looking at a, a long-term business, how do I really invest in myself? Invest in other people. Spend, mm. even if it's just um, three 15-minute conversations once a week uh, three different people start to connect and start to know them and then once you do what happens is all this magic happens you go oh you're not a good fit for me or I'd love hearing your story but hey I met AJ she's she runs this podcast go and speak to her and what happens when you do that is that you just build up this you're talking about tribe but you, you build up this this what I call symbolic capital that people that know like mm. trust you and and we'll answer your phone call again because in some way you've connected with people and you've helped them and you've listened. You just um, you just spend that 15 minutes asking them what do they do, how do they do it, who's a good referral for you, you know, what are you struggling with right now? Okay, great. If I know someone who's in that space, I will I will send them your way. And for me, that that that's what radically has has changed with me, and that's that's my knowledge for people for to go away and do and do that. Brilliant. So, so simple and that's what it's all about and yet so brilliant. And I guess it's about consistency, right? It's about doing that regularly, not just doing three calls and going, well, I'm done. <laughs> um, yes. So so most people, when, when their business dives, they'll suddenly get back out and call these people and or try and drum up business. But the person who's, who's, who's investing this on long-term on a regular basis, in fact, I'm speaking to someone today who does uh, LinkedIn lead generation and and he said the majority of our business is through referrals and because we've been doing it for such a long time and I had another conversation with uh, somebody else who's a recruiter and he said all of our 
all of our business comes from the fact that we look after the candidates, not so much the end client. And he said, we've invested them so heavily that uh, during the financial crisis last time, the GFC, they all came back. Um, they, they're, they're with us for the, the lifestyle of the life cycle of their whole career. So they mm. when they want to be replaced again, they come back to us. So you, they just you just build up that that trust, and when you build that up, um, you although it, you can't see it as uh, always as dollars on the on the income statement, you know that there's this untapped potential for people to continue to recommend you and to have all of those opportunities that you haven't if you if you just run a transactional based mindset mm. but it's just about others which really follows along from that whole napoleon hill concept of you know really serving others showing up being available making connections so so valuable so that's a super simple tip for everyone who's listening. Just have three new conversations a week, 15 minutes with new people. Um, and like Ronan, you could be out there building your symbolic capitalism. Well, I think you've built yours today, Ronan, in that everything you've shared on the podcast has come from that good intention of being of service and sharing and supporting others. So I want to say thank you so much for spending your valuable time and afternoon having a chat to me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, AJ. It's really nice to, to to know what you're doing and and to support you in some small way. And so for people who are listening who go, I really like the way this man thinks, if that's how you feel, because I know I did, can you tell us how can people find Transform and get in touch with you other than the LinkedIn we said before? What's the best way to talk to you? Uh, so it's transform.io and you've just got to take the A out of Transform. Great. So transform.io. And we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. Um, as I said, thank you once again for talking all about shared values and really covering off everything that we believe here is really helpful in creating happy, healthy, vibrant communities and cultures, wherever that might be. Um, I wish you all the luck with the continuation of your business and helping people transform and come home to their values. And um, I look forward to many future conversations and building our symbolic capitalism. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ronan. Thanks, AJ.